You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Dutch police make an arrest in last week's financial sector DDoS case, and it's a teenager. North Korean interest in stealing cryptocurrency remains high. Adobe patches the zero-day Pyongyang had exploited against Seoul. Hardware wallets are found vulnerable to man-in-the-middle attacks. Crypto-jacking trends? U.S. regulators take a hard look at altcoins and how they're traded. Uber says it regrets not coming clean sooner about its breach. And there are some new trends in an old help desk scam. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, February 7th, 2018. Dutch police have made an arrest in the distributed denial-of-service attack that disrupted some of the country's financial institutions last week. It's an unnamed teenager from Osterhout who rented a booter service for unclear reasons. His alleged and allegedly confessed use of those booter services may explain the Russian IP addresses that ESET and others reported seeing associated with the attack traffic. Adobe has issued a quick fix for the Flash Player exploit that's been used in the wild against mostly South Korean targets. The attacks have been generally attributed to North Korean operators. North Korean cyber operators are also believed to be engaged in an ongoing campaign to steal cryptocurrency that continues during the run-up to the Olympic Games. South Korean authorities think it possible, and are investigating this possibility, that Pyongyang's hackers were responsible for last month's raid on the Japanese cryptocurrency exchange CoinCheck. The DPRK's interest in cryptocurrency closely trailed the dramatic run-up in prices that peaked, for a while at least, at the end of 2017. While they're mulling this over, altcoin mavens should look to their wallets. Most of the big recent heists have come in the form of raids on hot wallets, that is, repositories for the cryptocurrencies that are themselves connected to and resident in the Internet. Security experts concerning themselves with Bitcoin and other blockchain-based media of exchange have accordingly recommended using hardware wallets, basically external detachable drives that can be used to store your altcoin. These two, however, have their issues. The Ledger brand of hardware wallets, among the most popular on the market, have been found susceptible to man-in-the-middle attacks. There will be no patch for them, says Ledger, as it responds to researchers' disclosure of the flaw. Instead, Ledger invites users of the cryptocurrency product to verify your receive address on the device's screen by clicking on the monitor button. The run-up in price has also driven a rising interest in cryptojacking, the practice of installing cryptocurrency mining software in non-cooperating devices, like your Android phone, whether in-browser or server-based, Cryptojacking uses victim device resources in a mining pool that delivers coin to the master miners. The drain on resources can be sufficiently serious to noticeably degrade an enterprise's IT performance. 
Compromised WordPress sites seem to be growing in popularity as dispensers of crypto-jacking malware. Cryptocurrency speculators were able to take a bit of comfort at midweek as prices of some of the more prominent alternative coins surged up to 20%. That's still off their peaks, and it will take some time before it's clear if this represents a return to what will prove a secular bull market, or a return to a short-term speculative bubble, or if it's all just a dead cat bounce. One form speculation has taken is the initial coin offering. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC, has been skeptical of ICOs, stopping a few of them as fraudulent, and objecting to others as offering, in effect, unregistered and unregulated securities. In testimony before the Senate Banking Committee yesterday, the heads of two major market regulating bodies, the SEC and the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, the CFTC, distinguished the currencies themselves from their use in ICOs and from the blockchain technology that underlies them. In brief, they think that consumers who trade in these novel currencies tend to think the markets are better regulated than in fact they are. The regulators think that trading platforms should be regulated like exchanges and that ICOs are in fact securities and should be treated as such. They also expressed their conviction that in fact cryptocurrencies could have and did have real value. If the hearings are any guide, cryptocurrencies are well on their way to normalization as financial instruments. Security company Okta recently released the latest version of their Business at Work report, highlighting the most popular tools organizations are using to get their work done online. This year they added a section on security. Yasir Abusulham is Senior Vice President and Chief Security Officer at Okta, and he takes us through their findings. Essentially we, we see a lot of countries keep coming back in, uh, in the headlines as the sources for cyber attacks. And when we looked at attacker data, and here I have to stop and maybe uh, define what attack means, mm. in this context, we focused on both password spraying attacks and brute force attacks against cloud services. So when we looked at these attacks, uh, we found that they are coming, or at least they're originating from pretty much everywhere in the world. There is some concentration uh, in some uh, specific countries. Uh, specifically, China has something like 48% of all of the attack traffic, followed by the US at 7.7%, and then France, 4.5%, and finally, Russia, 3.4% of all the attacks. What we also found is that 23% of all the attacks were coming from Tor exit nodes, which essentially tells us how important the dark web uh, has become enabling cyber attacks. Um, what we also, uh, I guess, uh, have as a, as a takeaway is, uh, and this is more of a recommendation, hmm. um, is that because these attacks are coming from everywhere, and because we obviously have limited resources as security teams to uh, maintain the safety of our services and users, we uh, need to start uh, either blocking traffic or at least, or a minimum, uh, stepping up authentication, meaning requiring a second factor if we were not expecting legitimate traffic to come from some of these sources. For example, a, a, a country that we're not doing business with, then maybe it is somewhat safe to uh, require that any user, any authentication from that country needs to provide a second factor. If we're not expecting legitimate traffic to come from the dark web, then maybe we should just lock it all together. So this is kind of the first area. The second one was around the current state of passwords. We looked at the average password policy across the Okta um, ecosystem, and we analyzed 
passwords that have been previously compromised and published on the internet. And what we found is that the average password policy is something like eight characters in length with complexity and lockout. Uh, the second thing that we found by analyzing the passwords that have been previously breached, obviously they're, they're published on the internet, uh, is that when users are given the choice, they tend to converge on shorter and less complex passwords. In fact, less than 4% of the passwords that have been compromised and published would comply with this average password policy that I just mentioned of uh, eight characters in length and so on. What that tells us is that companies uh, need to adopt password policies that are adequate for their environment and the, the assets that they provide access to, uh, but they need to enforce those policies. Obviously, they should not leave the choice when it comes to protecting critical assets to the end user to uh, decide whether they want to um, have a, a long password or short or complex password and so on. Uh, and the last thing, uh, last technique we highlighted was attackers know that you know, most users tend to reuse the same password over and over again. So uh, they capitalize the first letter, they add numbers at the end, uh, they add special characters at the end as well. And so that, what that does is that it really brings down that, that uh, entropy significantly, and it really allows them to optimize the, uh, the attack techniques to only focus on passwords that have the highest uh, chance for success. That's Yasir Abusulham from Okta. There's much more to their business at work report than we had time to cover here, including multi-factor authentication and the brute forcing of passwords. You can read the complete report on their website. Researchers at security firm UpGuard, who've been dining out for the better part of a year on their ability to find security problems with cloud services, has found another leaky Amazon Web Services S3 bucket. This one belongs to Octoly, a Paris-based firm that connects influencers on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube with companies willing to provide them with goods and services for marketing purposes. You know the sort of thing. You try the product, and if you like it, you'll presumably recommend it to your friends and followers. Some 12,000 influencers have had their data slosh out of Octoly's bucket. In other hearings before the Senate Subcommittee on Consumer Protection, Product Safety, Insurance, and Data Security, Uber defended its controversial bug bounty program, but the company also said it had been wrong to delay disclosure of its 2016 breach. Critics had thought what Uber characterized as a bounty looked in certain respects more like a ransom payment. The ride-sharing company's congressional inquisitors heartily agreed with them on disclosure, saying that delaying disclosure by a year certainly raised red flags. In industry news, the well-known security company Proofpoint announced that it will acquire Wombat Security for a reported $225 million. The acquisition is a significant one, and it indicates Proofpoint's intention to move into the anti-phishing and general security training market. Finally, there's a bit of evolution in the familiar Microsoft help desk scam, a scam we hasten to say is not the doing or responsibility of the Microsoft Corporation. It's the scam in which a caller from Microsoft Help Desk tells you over the phone that they've detected malware on your Windows computer, which they will remove if you let them take control. In this new wrinkle, reported by researchers at security firm Malwarebytes, the hoods afflict Chrome by abusing an API. It's Window Navigator MS Save or Open Blob to lock a page by repeatedly forcing the browser to save it to disk. The hack then displays a dialog box telling you, the victim, that your machine has been blocked by their ISP 
and that to recover, you should call Microsoft Help Desk and help them help you. What follows is easy to imagine. So don't call. Just kill the unresponsive page and get on with life. For now, this only affects Chrome, but similar infestations in other browsers are unlikely to be far behind. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And joining me once again is Justin Harvey. He's the Global Incident Response Leader at Accenture. Justin, welcome back. Um, you know, we talk a lot about ransomware, and there's a little bit of controversy as to whether or not you should pay the ransom. Law enforcement generally says don't pay. What's your take on this? Let's just look at the numbers here. There was a report that came out just recently uh, that the record growth of ransomware in 2017 could hit $2 billion. Mm. Now, even, if, I mean, that sounds really high to me, but even if it's 10% of that, let's just say it's $200 million, it's still a, a pretty bad problem. Right. And many organizations out there are are suffering from this. And I used to be of a different camp. I have to admit, I was actually in the camp of saying, well, let's pay where it, it makes sense and we should explore it and, and all these companies should have Bitcoin on hand ready to pay in case something happens. I've actually reversed the position. I'm actually more in the camp of not paying the ransom for a few reasons. So there is an exception to this rule, which I'll get to. Okay. But I would say the uh, the 80% rule, 80% of organizations should not pay. So for a few reasons. Number one is you never know who you're paying the ransom to. 
you could be transmitting monies to a criminal enterprise. You could be uh, transmitting money to uh, a nation state or even a terrorist group. So it's really important to discern or, in this case, not pay because you don't know who the money is going to. You could be funding a terrorist organization. I see. And the second reason here would be, in many instances, a company that pays the ransom does not get its files back. So there's no assurance that you have that, A, you're going to get the decryption key, or in the cases that your data is being held hostage and being threatened to be leaked, that the, the data won't already be leaked after you pay that uh, that money. So finally, for the third case here, as we've seen with some recent news within the last couple of months, there could be a public and or consumer and or stockholder backlash of paying the ransom. Mm. Uh, if you're paying the ransom, uh, it could be seen as misuse of corporate funds or uh, in some cases, even breaking regulatory or laws. So therefore, you should tread with caution. Now, I did mention, Dave, that there's an exception to the rule, okay. and I think that uh, I, I think that for critical infrastructure, for healthcare, hospitals, air traffic control, airlines, things where human lives are at stake, if there's a condition where there is a chance to get back the data or restore services, I could see that as. Uh, making the case to to pay, but again, it's uh, it's a very slippery slope. I get get it going through and paying the ransom because there's no guarantee. A, you're going to get the result you want, or even B, if it reaches the public's ears, there's no guarantee that someone else isn't going to shake you down for the same condition. And so I guess the lesson here is that uh, you really need to plan ahead so that should you get hit with ransomware, you've got backups in place and you can transition to them as quickly and painlessly as possible. Exactly. Uh, a strong incident response program, strong endpoint detection and response capabilities, including monitoring, using least privilege necessary uh, on your on your endpoints. So I, I see many companies uh, taking an easy route out and giving everyone uh, domain or uh, administrative access to their endpoints. Um, there are ways uh, to get around that, and there are ways to uh, to better secure those endpoints. And finally. Uh, keeping all of your uh, endpoints and applications up to date and choosing a backup solution uh, that's not tied to your network, something cloud-based or something offline-based so that if you, if and when you are hit, you can easily recover without the ransomware encrypting your backups as well. Good advice. Justin Harvey, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. 
The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.